Well, good morning, family. Good to see you guys. If you have your Bibles, grab them, open them up. Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1 is where we're going to be this morning. Uh, we've been using the Apostles' Creed to help us examine the timeless truths of the Christian faith, and the doctrine that we're examining today is the birth of Jesus. Uh, to use the words of the Apostles' Creed, conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. So, we are going to get a head start on Christmas today in September. Is that all right? Is it a little too early? Maybe it's a little, uh, no, no? Okay. Uh, it, it might be a little too early to like sing the Christmas carols and all of that, but it, it's never too early to understand why we celebrate the birth of Christ. Uh, as the early church fathers once said, without the proper understanding of Jesus in the womb, we will never understand the significance of Christ on the cross. We're very interrelated. Uh, with that said, please give your attention to the reading of God's word. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and he said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your real relative Elizabeth in her old age also has conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. And for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Thank you, Father God, for your word. Um, we need to hear your word. We're gathered here today. Even our presence here is kind of a prayer. Um, we're, we're admitting to you that we're spiritually, we're immature. Um, we're like little kids that blow all their allowance on candy in the arcade. Um, we need you to mature us spiritually. Um, we need you to help us see things that we can't see right now. We need you to wisen us. Make us men and women, adults, spiritual adults of God. Because you have plans for us, you have responsibilities for us. You have a mission that you want us to be a part of and a role to play. Would you mature us today through your word by the Holy Spirit for the sake of Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen. Aside from the bodily resurrection and ascension of Jesus Christ, no other miracle has come under attack like the incarnation of Jesus Christ, specifically his virgin birth. 
And it's interesting that this is where the battle is raged most fiercely because these miracles are central to Christianity. Have you ever thought about that? There are these two big miracles that are right smack in the middle of what Christianity is all about. The Creed teaches us that Christ's miracle entrance and miracle exit from this earth says something profoundly hopeful to us. There is no way to cast off these miracles and still have a gospel that's useful, let alone a gospel that is historic, orthodox Christianity in any kind of semblance. The prolific interviewer Larry King was once asked by People magazine, who he would like to interview in all of history? This was his answer. He answered, Jesus Christ. That's who he wanted to interview in all of history. He wanted to interview Jesus. And when asked in a follow-up question, well, what would he like to ask Jesus? He had an answer ready. Larry King replied, I would like to ask him if he was indeed virgin born. The answer to that question would define history for me. It seems that both the Apostles Creed and Larry King understand that the virgin birth of Jesus profoundly matters. Do you understand that it profoundly matters? To deny it, to remove it, is to remove something central to Christianity's unique message to the world. And what's even more interesting is that while Jesus was born in a very ordinary way, he was born of a woman, he was conceived in a very remarkable way by the Holy Spirit. Each of those facts are significant to the nature of Jesus Christ, and they are significant to the hope of the world. You see, the virgin birth matters because it means that Jesus is fully God and fully man. The virgin birth matters because it means Jesus is fully God and fully man at the same time. That's a big deal. And so today we're going to look at each of those in turn, and I'm going to try to flesh out their significance for us as we go along. Okay, you guys ready? You ready? You don't look ready. You ready? Okay, there we go. All right, first, the virgin birth tells us that Jesus is fully God. I'm actually talking to you. That's right. I'm talking to you. Jesus is fully God, all right? Our conversations can easily get stuck in debating uh, whether this miracle happened, or we could debate, you know, how exactly it happened. But the greater question that's staring us right in the face is this. Why? That's the question everyone skips over. Why did it even need to happen? Why did God the Father need to send Jesus to us this way in the first place? The answer is, of course, because we need a Savior. We need a Savior. In fact, the name Jesus, or Yeshua, means Savior, or Deliverer, if you like. So we see right at the beginning that the good news of Jesus is actually front-loaded with some bad news. And here's the bad news. We are all sinners, right? We're all, including me, every one of us. The very birth of Jesus declares that I'm a sinner, and you're a sinner, and your mama's a sinner, all right? We're all sinners, all right? What that means is that by nature, we could say by birth, 
And by choice, we are constantly rejecting or ignoring God in the world that he created. That's what sin is. It is to reject or to ignore God in the world that he created. Since the fall of mankind, this is our daily default mode. We don't even have to think about it. It's so natural. You understand what I'm saying? This is how we relate to the creator just automatically. God says, this is the best, and this is right, and we say, yep, I don't think so. I reject that, or I ignore it. I don't want to hear that. That's our default mode to God. It means that we all deserve the punishment of death, and we have no chance of saving ourselves. You know why? Because we cannot not live according to the nature that is inside of us. We can't not not be who we are. We can pick how we sin, how we reject or ignore God. We Sure, we can pick different ways, but we can't not not be who we are. So the virgin birth of Jesus declares to us that the Savior that we need is someone who's not bound by a sinful nature like you and I are. And the only way that that's possible is if the Savior is conceived in a way that is not like us, not the same way we are, which is from the line of Adam. You can think about it logically. Only someone not under the power and penalty of sin can rescue us from the power and penalty of sin. Does this make sense? And that's why the virgin birth is so, so, so very important to us. It tells us that Jesus is fully God because he did not descend from the line of Adam. God was his birth father, not Joseph. God was his source, not Joseph. Look at verses 34 and 35 with me, if you would. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. I don't even have time to go into how that language is so similar to Genesis 1. There is a new creation happening here. That's for another sermon. He says, therefore, therefore, since the Holy Spirit will come upon you and he will overshadow you, the child, will, the child to be born will be called holy, the Son of God. If you are last week, we know Son of God, that's a technical title, right? Divinity, God. Because Jesus was conceived supernaturally by the Holy Spirit and not by a man, he was and he is still today sinless. Isn't that awesome? Jesus has never been tainted by sin, not even from the moment of conception. He has not a single defect, not a single imperfection in him. Jesus is absolutely holy. Why? Because he came from God, and he is God. And here's what that means. His payment for your sin and my sin is perfect, and effective. It is perfect and it is effective. It's perfect because Jesus completely obeyed the law of God and he fulfilled all the requirements of righteousness. He left nothing out, he violated no law, he did it perfectly. He never sinned. 
Let's go to 2 Corinthians 5.21. The apostle says this. For our sake, he, that's God, made him to be sin who knew no sin. So that, that's a purpose statement. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. See, from as early as we can go back into human history, humans have always believed, listen, in the need for atonement. Always believed in the need of atonement in some form or fashion. It's ingrained in us. I mean, you ever been wronged? What do you want? Blood, right? Right? give an example 800 bc this is king agamemnon trying to reconcile relationship with achilles according to to homer to right with justice whom with power they wronged each do atonement gladly i prepare and heaven regard me as i justly swear humans have always believed in the need for atonement for wrongs we believe in making mistakes now, don't we? But atonement was a once common belief that if you wronged someone, you needed to make a repayment for your wrongs so that reconciliation might even be possible. If you stole something, then you returned it. If you, if you broke something, then you fixed it. And if you couldn't fix it, then you repaired it with equal or greater value. Atonement must precede reconciliation. This is a biblical concept that has not been passed down to this generation of Christians very well. We want relationships reconciled without atonement. And it's not possible. This is the good news of Jesus Christ. Christ has done for us once and for all what humans have never been able to do perfectly. At best, we do it piecemeal. Jesus fully atones. He fully repairs, replaces, restores what our offenses have damaged, namely the glory of God. He does that fully, perfectly. Christ's payment for our sins is is perfectly effective because only God can atone for sins against God. An animal cannot do that. A mere human cannot do that. It takes a merciful, gracious, powerful, and dare I say humiliating act on the part of God to do that. Look at Hebrews 10.4. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. So here lies the good news. Jesus Christ is actually able to rescue you and I from the power and penalty of all of our sins because he is fully God. He was not a mere teacher, though he was a teacher. Nor was he some kind of a superman. You know, he started out as a human, but then like he like grew into God as time went on. No, the virgin birth declares that Jesus was not born of the will of a man, but by the will of God. 
He inherited no taint of sin. Jesus has all the credentials to actually make atonement for your sin and my sin and the sin of the world. Hallelujah. That should make you smile. This means that you do not need to add anything to his sacrifice in order for your sins to be wiped off your account. Because Jesus is God, his sacrifice is perfect. It also means that you do not need to do anything to ensure that his sacrifice maintains its effectiveness. Isn't that great? Because he is God, his sacrifice is ever effective in making atonement for his sin. There is no upgrade. It's not like his atonement, look up here, guys. It's not like his atonement is like a lithium battery that needs to be charged up again to be effective. He's God. There's nothing that he needs to do to maintain that. You don't got to put a trickle charger on that. Even after 80 years of offending him. Isn't that great? This is the good news and is unique to the Christian religion. The virgin birth also declares to us, secondly, that Jesus is fully man. Jesus is fully man. Look at verse 31. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Luke is very careful to let us know that even though Jesus was consumed, uh, he was conceived in a remarkable way that he would be born in a very ordinary way, just like every other man in history has ever been born, in and through the womb and a body of a woman. God came through a woman. That ought to give you a little cognitive dissonance, like, eh, What? Think about that. So while Jesus is not only or merely a man, he is truly and really a man. You see, one of the philosophies that the creed was responding to was a philosophy called docetism, which is like an offshoot of Gnosticism. They have a lot of things in common. But docetism taught that the material world, this material world that we live in is ugly, it's evil, and it's decaying. So there's no real value in this world. It's only the invisible, uh, spiritual world. It's a world of values. That was good. That was the world that was pure, and that was the world that was divine. It's the higher life, right? And so their name comes from the Greek, a Greek word that means to appear or to seem. Docetism, to appear, to seem. How could a holy, divine God stoops so low to take on flesh and then be born of a woman. How's that possible? The very notion that the creator of the universe and the one that all people should bow down in worship would be born of a woman and cared for for years by humans was laughable to the docetists, if not scandalously embarrassing. Like, we ought to not mention that part of Christianity. You guys tracking with me? So docetism's goal was to make Christianity more palatable to people. Their goal wasn't to create a heresy. Their goal was to get more people to be Christians, and this will make it easier. This will make it more rational. This will make it a little bit more believable. Sound familiar? Sound familiar? 
See, what they taught is that while Jesus looked like a human and he appeared to suffer like humans do, he wasn't really human. He was only divine. He was only all God. Jesus merely put on a costume and he acted human for he was immune to any kind of weakness or any lacking. God doesn't lack anything. So he couldn't have weakness and he couldn't have any lack. Think of it like this. Think about like a man that goes into an army surplus store and he buys a full uniform and he puts it on. He totally looks like he's in the army when he walks out, right? But in reality, he's not, he's not army. He's just pretending. He's just masquerading. That's kind of what they were teaching. In Greek culture, it was not uncommon for the gods to dress up like humans so that they could be able to interact with humans without defiling themselves. Today, some Christians have such a high view of Christ's divinity, his godness, that they're embarrassed by his full humanity. I don't like that. It seems scandalous. It actually seems sacrilegious to talk about the Lord that way. To think about Jesus depending on his mother's milk to survive? To have her change his diaper? Thinking about him going through the awkward stages of puberty as a young man? Experiencing any human weakness at all? For some Christians, that is really hard to think about for the Lord that they worship and sing to and pray to. So we think, that Je- we, we think of Jesus as having the appearance of being a human. But on the inside, he's all God all the time. His godness always overrides his humanness in every situation. If he knows something, his godness kicks in and overrides his humanness. That's what we think. Yet the scriptures clearly say that Christ really, truly, actually, fully experienced hunger which is a lack of food, right? He truly, really experienced tiredness. It's lack of sleep, right? Mental agony. Stress. Physical pain. Loneliness. Abandonment and temptation to sin against the Father. Jesus wasn't acting like he was tempted to sin. Jesus was tempted to sin. There's so much good news packed into this fact that our Savior is not only 100% God, but also 100% man at the same time. It's not like he's God on Monday and human on Tuesday and they're flip-flopping. It's at the same time. This is a miracle. It means that he is able to sympathize with our weakness, and it also means that he can actually get this, provide the best kind of help when you need it. Let's look at Hebrews 4, 15 through 16. You look like you don't believe me, but here, I'm going to show you, all right? For, <laughs> for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted, has been tempted, as we are, yet without sin. Verse 16. Let us, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace in help in time of need. Because he's this, you can be sure you'll get help. It's a really significant doctrine. This plays on the street. You understand what I'm saying? 
Because Jesus is truly a man, he's able to understand our problem from the inside. He is experienced, he is well acquainted with our problem at a first person level. So when you call out to Jesus in your help for fighting against sin, or you call to him in your pain because there's weakness in being a human, Jesus can finish your sentences. Jesus, I really need to help with, he's like dealing with your mother-in-law. I understand, I know. That means that, listen, he can give you help that actually helps. He doesn't give you like a little chunk of help and then you like carve it out for yourself, for your situation. You understand what I'm saying? His help comes custom fit for your exact scenario. Time in life. It has taken all the variables into consideration and all the variables that you're not even aware of so that both you will receive help and God will receive glory through Jesus Christ the Lord. Isn't that wonderful? That's good news. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, my, my car left me stranded twice, twice in a week, which is twice too many as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> uh, once was during a hospital visit. That was humbling. <laughs> I've come to... Help, could you help me? <laughs> and there I am. I called AAA to get help. Called them up. The first thing they did, guys, was they expressed sympathy for my situation that even required that I call the number. They said, it's really too bad you had to call us. I'm sorry. We'd like to help. That was a cool way to start. Then they asked me a bunch of questions to understand my exact situation. What is the exact problem that you're having and your vehicle is having? They asked for an exact location. They said that they would not only dispatch a tow truck, but they'd have the driver come equipped with a jump box plus electrical diagnostic tools in case I didn't need a tow to save my tow. They really wanted to help me. Later when the driver called me on my phone, I asked him if he was familiar with my location. He says, Mr. Lingle, I'm very familiar with Harrison Hospital. I know exactly where your vehicle is located. You can expect me to be at your car in 15 minutes. I don't know the last time someone's ever talked to me like that. That kind of commitment. Because he knew the precise details of my problems and because he knew my exact location, the driver arrived prepared to give me the exact help I needed in my time of distress. Family, Jesus is like that. Jesus is kind of like AAA, but way better, okay? <laughs> way better. Because Jesus is human in every respect, not just God with a thin layer of skin over him, but down to the blood cells, he's able to give you and I exactly the right help we need in the time of distress. Now, it may not be the help that you think you need, but I'm telling you, it's going to be exactly the help that you need. That's the guarantee. That is the promise that the virgin birth is making to us. This is the good news. So when you call him for help, you can call him with confidence. He's going to answer. He will take Take your call. He'll dispatch exactly the help that you need at that time. But there's even more good news packed into this. I want you to hear this. Because Jesus is fully man, 
It means that Jesus can fully represent us before the throne of holy God. Remember, our biggest problem every day, our biggest problem is our sins against Almighty God. We either reject or we ignore Him in the world He created. Only God can forgive sins. So the fact that Jesus is fully God means that his obedience and his suffering was perfect and effective, right? But here's the problem. How does all that perfect divine work get credited to us as humans? Because we're human and we're not God. So how does that get credited to us? Only if Jesus represents us while he did all that perfect work. Only if he is also fully, truly human, not just acting like he was human. Let's go to Hebrews 2, 14 through 18. This is great, guys. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood. That's on the inside. We're going down to the cellular level, guys, right? It's not just the costume. Flesh and blood. He himself likewise partook of the same thing. What? Flesh and blood that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those through the fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it's not the angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Those of us who have the faith of Abraham, faith in God, that's who he helps. Therefore, he had to be made like his brother in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. He had to be made like us in every respect if he was going to atone for all of our sins in every respect. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he's able to help those who are being tempted. You and I need a Savior who was born of a woman and is truly human, not one, one who just appeared to be that way. The reason Jesus looked and felt and thought and acted like a human was because he was. <laughs> he truly was. Going back to that uniform analogy, the gospel says, the virgin birth says, the reason that God put on the uniform of humanity, so to speak, is because he actually enlisted in the army. That's why he got that uniform. He didn't just go to a surplus store. Does this make sense? He actually did the army push-ups. He actually ate the army chow. He followed the orders. He missed sleep. He cleaned the latrines. He felt the burn in his muscles and the pain in his heart because he truly enlisted. He became like us in every respect with the exception of sinning against the Father. So Jesus fully represents us, represents us inside and out from top to bottom before the throne of a holy God. His forgiveness is ours. And our sins are His. His mercy is ours. And, his, and our punishment, that was His. He ate that up. Thank God for the good news of the virgin birth. This brings us to another question, and it's a really important question. How should we respond to the virgin birth of Jesus Christ? 
How should you respond to this? Not somebody out there somewhere. You. But we should respond the same way Christ's mother did. Let's look at the text, verse 38. And Mary said, Behold, I'm the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. That's it, that concluded the conversation. Some Protestants get so nervous about giving Mary any honor that they completely ignore her. You know, we have got no problem constantly bragging about Paul and his revelation and what he did. But we better not mention Mary because the Roman Catholic Church prays to her. And that's a shame. That's a shame. The fact of the matter is that Mary is the example that the Scripture sets before us as to how we are to respond to the news of Christ's birth. We have a lot to learn from Mary. What does she do? Well, Mary voices a question. She doesn't believe this right away, does she? She voices her question. She gets it out of her head. She puts it out on the table. I got a question. <laughs> like, come again? <laughs> right? What'd she say? How can this be because I'm a virgin? How do you square that circle, angel? That's what she says. You love her honesty? She admits this is a difficult thing for her to buy. Because she can't understand how that's possible. She's like, look, I got a finite brain, and I don't know how this works. Help me out. But in the end, and she does get a response from the angel. She does get an answer. In the end, she accepts it by faith. In other words, she submits to the news. She submits to the news. Guys, faith in God is an act of submission. Did you know that? At the end of the day, it's an act of submission. And that's how you and I are to respond to the virgin birth. We voice our questions to try to better understand, but in the end, we accept the mystery of grace. And then we enjoy it. How is God able to redeem my messed up life? Like, how's that possible? Explain that to me. How's God able to redeem my messed up life? How, does, how has God provided a perfect Savior? How did he provide a Savior that is both fully God and fully man at the same time? How is he able to do that? I don't exactly know. I don't exactly know. But here is what I do know. Nothing is impossible for God. And I accept his grace by faith. I accept his grace by faith. May God help us respond in the same way to him. I love you guys. Let's pray. Jesus Christ, we love you. I thank you for how you reveal yourself to us. Thank you for how you answer so many of our questions. You want us to know you. And Lord, I just also thank you for mystery. There's just some things we're just not going to know right now. 
But I do thank you that you're a perfect Savior and all your work is perfect and effective. Absolutely satisfies the Father. There's nothing we need to add to it. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would take this word and you would just drill it down into our souls today. And you would cause each and every person in this room to in some way respond to you for you are speaking today. You're the Savior of the world. We love you. It's in your precious, precious name we pray. Amen.